Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Expect anything different. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up Podcast. Solly here. We have a episode coming to you shortly. Uh, interview we did last week with Mike Lorenzo Vera. You may have may remember him from uh, his run he made at the PGA uh, a couple weeks ago. He has been a uh, common fixture on the European tour. We go deep on his career, some ups and downs. There were some great stories kind of circulating uh, during the PGA Championship week about you know some of the things he's been through, some of the things he's done. He goes through all of it in pretty good detail of the uh, losing a bunch of money, being $400,000 in debt, some expensive habits he had, tax issues. It's got it all. It's really fascinating. Listen, I think you guys are going to really enjoy it. Uh, you guys know we are big supporters of the women's game, uh, ranging from a member of our Young Hitters program, our regular recaps and conversations we have about uh, LPGA tournament action, and a whole lot more. Also supportive of the women's game, our friends at Callaway. Today, September 1st, is Women's Golf Day, of which Callaway is an official sponsor. Callaway took this opportunity to launch a new women's-focused website, callawaygolf.com slash womensgolf, which has a ton of golf content created by women for women. Uh, for example, we hear how Tina, not Phil, but Tina Mickelson hits her bombs and learn about the women's version of the Big Bertha B21 clubs that you've heard a little bit about from us. The driver has been in Tron's uh, lefty lefty bag for a while now. It's helped him a lot with the slice, and uh, there'll be more on that uh, in, the, in, the, in the weeks to come. The women's version of the B21 is called the Big Bertha Reva, R-E-V-A, kind of short for Revolution. Uh, there's a full family of Riva clubs, drivers, fairways, hybrids, and irons. Visit CallawayGolf.com slash Women's Golf for more about the Big Bertha Riva line of clubs and Callaway's support of the women's game. CallawayGolf.com slash Women's Golf. Without any further delay, here is Mike Lorenzo Vera. So I was having a bit of fun with your name on Twitter during the PGA. Can you tell us uh, how you did end up going by the name of Mike? You don't get too many too many French guys that just go by Mike. Is that right in saying? Yeah, true, true. Because the you know my, my parents called me Michael. The thing is, uh, in France, uh, like the teachers at school, some friends, some new people you meet, or you know sometimes you win a little amateur tournament, and the director of the golf course gives you the trophy, calling you Michael. <laughs> And I was like, come on, guys, it's my Michael. And they're like, oh, we are in France, so it's Michael. I was like, sorry, but my parents called me Michael. You know, we're going into an argument there. So after 33 years or 34 years of always fixing it, I was like, okay, I'm going to Mike. Then everybody, when they're going to see that, they're going to say Mike and not Mike, except maybe the Finnish guys or Swedish guys. That's why I went to, to Mike, because I was really bothered to not hear my name well, so. <laughs> so you gave me proper oh. troubles on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we do. That's what we do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I do want to dive into your background a little bit. Of course, I've seen your name on leaderboards for years, but you know, admittedly didn't know much of anything about you until PGA Championship Week. But what is your golf background like? Where did you grow up and what was your path to professional golf? And kind of what the uh, take us to the, the junior golf scene in France and what that's like. Okay, I grew up in Gerritz, which is the point southwest of France, right near to, to Spain. And the Spanish border on the Atlantic coast, well, only less than half an hour from uh, Jose Maria Olazabal. So it's not, it's always good to have, you know, legends not too far from you to inspire you. And, uh, well, so, uh, yeah, I grew up there. My parents just had a food shop 
pretty good in Biarritz, but you know, in that place, a lot of people play golf. So they managed to put my brother and I to the to the golf school, and uh, well, that's how we started. Just giving each other a little con- contest because uh, my my brother was really good as well. He turned pro, and then he's been pulling me up always. And then sometime I call I I caddied for him at Q school, and then after he caddied for me at Q school. So you know, we've been pulling each other really really high and uh well he turned to be a, a golf teacher so on european tour as well and me i was a really i was kind of the kind of the be- best players amateurs in france then i turned pro in 2006 in 2006 i finished top five of the alps tour which gave me a, a spot to the challenge tour the challenge tour 2007 finished number one on the year and then i went to the european tour so I spent three years on European tour, then went down like really big troubles in my game, in my life, and then back up to in 2014 on Challenge Tour and and up again in 2015 on European tour. And it looks like I'm handling things much more better now. All right, that's it. That's the end of the podcast. That's your that's your whole career right there. That's <laughs> okay. So I want to hear about the Alps Tour. I don't know if I've ever you know really asked anyone about the Alps Tour on this podcast, but uh, kind of what the competition levels like, what the golf courses are like, and what the scene is like uh, on the Alps Tour, and uh, what your best memories are from that. Uh, my best memories uh, when I I was invited as an amateur to play an Alps Tour in France, and then I won it. It was in Metz, so north east of France. And the year after, I came back as a pro and I won it again. So that was kind of a yeah, little good moment on Alps Tour. But, you know, it's it's like third division so on, in Europe. So you cannot expect like Harding Park courses, you know, or Best Bed. You know, it's, it's really open courses. The guys are doing what they can with the budget they have. So it's, it's already very interesting that actually the Alps Tour exists because... I'm not sure anybody makes money from that, so it's really cool to give uh, you know like opportunities to the to the players to to jump on Challenge Tour. So yeah, it's 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 kind of small courses, scoring really low, and uh, yeah, just try to earn your your spot. Uh, and we kind of raced past this because you said you went straight to the Challenge Tour and you finished number one on the Challenge Tour in 2007. Did you did you have an idea that you were that good at that point? I mean, did you did you did you, uh, I guess, yeah, was that a surprise to you at all? No, no idea. I, I was, I had big dreams because of Tiger, you know. Tiger put my my mind somewhere in the sky, in the sky, you know. So I was playing golf, playing hard, you know, like practicing hours and at night bringing the cars on the green, you know, to have some light and make chipping contests with the friends and stuff. But I really hadn't, I had no idea I was that good in golf, but I had no idea. I was so bad at organizing things and be fit and be mentally prepared. So I was really good at golf, but the rest was really wrong. Well, I, I know uh, I've read a lot about your relationship with you know sports psychology and mental health and, and everything, and I want to get into that on the back half. But when did you, I guess, when did you start to realize that you had, uh, you know, you're, you have all this talent, but, you know, all the pieces of the puzzle aren't there? Because you go to the European Tour in 2008, 2009. I think you made something around 483,000 euros. Um, but then things changed for you. So I guess when did you start to realize that, you know, things were not all adding up for you and kind of take us to that, uh, that time period? Well, I think, uh, you know, I'm French, so sometimes the French wait to be really, really, really low 
to understand that you need to do something else that works, you know? Like we're really trying to get to dig deeper than, you know, to check if really we are in really deep shit or not, you know? We are really insisting in that. So, yeah, I was I actually understood things when I was almost last on Challenge Tour in 2013. I was like, okay, now you need to do something because, you know, in Kazakhstan, I played the, the front nine on the first day in 2013 and I'm leading by two or three playing pure and then switch off, you know, the, the, the switch off button and, you know, miss the cut by four or five. And I was like, what, what's going on there? You know, that's a moment where I was like, okay, something is like really, really, really wrong. And yeah, my wife insisted on the fact that I was not that good anymore. <laughs> that was pretty fair to her to say that, but well, it was really true. And uh, yeah, from there I kind of, you know, step and jump and had plenty of good decisions, worked hard. And here we are back where it looks like good golf. Yeah, well, I, I so take us, you know, your, your success immediately on the European tour, and then I obviously read your blog that you had on the European tour website, which was just fantastic. But you know, you kind of th things are probably moving pretty fast for you in two thousand eight, two thousand nine, and you know, you're kind of having a lot of success all at once. And you say you made a lot of mistakes along the way. Kind of take us to that. What were some of the mistakes that you made along the way, and uh, kind of yeah, how all that worked? Yeah. the I believe that the the first mistake was to think that playing golf is, I mean, perform in golf is only practicing your golf. So that, that was the first mistake. So it's so much more than that. I think I gave way too much to people as well. Like, you know, you, you give back to your family and friends, that's fine. But like, I was giving way too much time to journalists, way too much time to... Yeah, people you don't really know, new new friends, you know, like new friends. Have a beer here, have a beer there. Lose your, you know, waste your time speaking, explaining things that I didn't even know. It, it was nice because, you know, in France, people thought I was really going to be like the player in France. I, I almost believed it, you know, because like the journalists were like, okay, Mike here, Mike there, the new star, blah, 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 blah. And, but I've... Everybody was wrong there. They were wrong, and I was wrong as well. So, yeah, that was the one of the biggest mistakes. I gave way too much time and way, gave too many things to too many people at, at this time. And so you, you talked about, you know, I, I guess this was maybe later in the Challenge Tour years, maybe in around 2013, that uh, you kind of looked up one day and, and realized that you were you were uh, much more in debt than you realized. Can you? I'm wondering if you could tell that story. Yeah, well... I had a little troubles with the tax department in France. Let's say that. And one day, so I had a meeting there. And they're like, do you know how much you owe us? I was like, I have no idea. They're like, you are the guy that owes the most in the southwest of France. I was like, fuck. Oof. That's going, because I know some people that had some debts already. And I was like, oof. So it means that I have much more than that. And so they're like, you're, you're about... 400,000 euros. And I was like, shit, I can't even buy a beer with my credit card. I was like, where am I going there? Well, what happened there? How did you, did you have someone managing your taxes or how did you end up? I was doing everything the myself. Government? You were? Yeah, I'm trying, trying to do it. And, uh, well. Do you have an accountancy license of any kind? <laughs> so if I had one, I should not take any customer, you know? So yeah, the, yeah, I was just, on a, on a different planet. 
So they told me this, and I was, and my best friend was like, "Man, you're in deep shit there." I was like, "Come on, nobody's gonna put me in jail for that, or I will not be able to pay back." And he was like, "Yeah, you're right, but you're fucking crazy to be still relaxed in that situation." So were you relaxed on the interior though? On the on the moment, I was really relaxed. I was like, "Okay, so that's a lot of money, but if I play good golf, I'll be able to pay back." The thing is that when <laughs> when you don't play good, it's pretty hard you know to pay back so it took a lot of time but the thing is that the more time i was taking the more important things i had in my life like kids and wife and you still see the the bills coming you know and i was like oh that's where it gets really nervous you know like getting a you know i was getting adult for the first time plus all these taxes thing that were coming to me so yeah, at the beginning I was not stressed. After I was really stressed. And that's the thing though about earnings as well. And I, I imagine this is even more so on the European tour than the uh, the U.S. tour. But the, you know, people look at like someone's career earnings or their season earnings, and they don't really think about the taxes that come out of that and the expenses that come with it. I mean, there's there's a lot that goes. You know, you're, you're, if you make four hundred eighty thousand euros in a couple of years, you're not taking home anywhere close to that. Nope. Is that fair to say? Yeah, even less in France. Yeah, which is one of the highest country texts in the world so you said in in the blog too you said and trust me i spent it really badly so how did you how did you spend <laughs> your money uh, badly so for an example it, it it took me time to pass my driving license because i was always saying that i didn't have time for it because i was practicing too much and honestly it was not that wrong because i was spending ages at the golf course and when <laughs> when i really had a bit of cash in my account. I went to Ferrari. I wanted to buy a 360 Modena. Okay, all right, yeah, no problem. Okay, when do you want it? I was like, okay, just let me pass the, the license and then I'll just come pick it up. And the guy was like, are you joking? I was like, no. You don't have your license? I was like, no, I don't. He's like, can you get out of here, please? So, yeah, he kicked me out. So that was the, this kind of, you know, stupid move. And after I was, you know, paying the drinks to everybody, like, like proper rounds of drinks, like big rounds of drinks. So take us there. What what are big rounds of drinks? Because yeah, yeah, you you specifically cited you know bad decisions, partying, and being very gen- generous to everybody around me for you know part of the reasons that contributed to be being in debt. There's got to be some good party stories in there along the way, at least. Yeah, sometime with some players, sometime with my friends, and you know I don't know if I could go like three times in a week out for like ten thousand euros the, the party. <sighs> Cause, uh, yeah, that'll that'll do it. Yeah, that will. That's already thirty thousand, and uh, yeah, plus maybe may, this maybe five six times in the year, plus all the other parties. And actually, I didn't win that much money either. I mean, now it could work because you know I do a few millions and you know a year. So, but at the time it was maybe, I don't know how many did you say four hundred thousand. In two years. Yeah, you made 483, I think, in 08 yeah. and 09 combined. So take the taxes out. Take all the expenses from the coach, the caddy, blah, blah, blah. Not much left at the end. Oh, yeah, I was going to say that. So had you not done like this analysis, I guess, because did that just seem like a ton, a ton of money to you yep. and that it would never run out? And you, yeah, that's... I mean that's not an that's not an unusual story. It's maybe a little bit unusual in golf, but I mean you hear that about athletes all over the world. You know that aren't used to having that income and they don't know how to financially plan. And but at uh, the end of the day, it's pretty easy. Give money to uh, someone which is not very mature. Nobody helping him to how do you say to take care of it, and then done. Bye bye. 
money's got money's up. How different is your uh, money management system now? Uh, not much more different, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I might just manage to win more money. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I, I'm just trying to be careful. You know, I'm uh, just a bit, a bit more careful than usually. I, I just party much less. I drink much better wine than before. That's all. And the cars I'm buying, I'm trying to you know not lose too much money on it. And my watches normally are good investments. So, yeah. A quick break here to remind you, September, not only is it a great month for golf, it's less humid, less hot, all those things. It is also Bourbon Heritage Month. I bet you didn't know that. A bottle of Elijah Craig is a great way to celebrate Bourbon Heritage Month. A little history lesson for you. In 1789, Elijah Craig became the first to age his whiskey in charred oak barrels. That has made him now, today, he is known as the father of bourbon. How did that happen? Some people will say it's a happy accident. Others say he stored his whiskey in former sugar barrels and found that charring improved the flavor. However it did come about, it is actually a legal requirement for bourbon to be aged in new charred oak barrels today. So next time you play a great round of golf, reward yourself at the 19th hole with a glass of Elijah Craig. Pick up a bottle today and raise a glass to the father of bourbon. No Laying Up is brought to you by Elijah Craig. Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey, Bardstown, Kentucky, 47% alcohol by volume. Elijah Craig reminds you to think wisely and drink wisely. Let's get back to Mike Lorenzo Vera. Well, what's it like, I guess, translating this back to golf, right? So you you have this situation where you're far in debt. I guess, where where does your competitive spirit come from, right? Because I, I get the feeling that most people don't, you know, you don't set out in golf trying to play it for money, right? And if you did, if you really just played, like saying, I've got to earn all this money, it has to be the 10 times the pressure that you put on yourself. So once you figure out like kind of this your situation, what is it like going back to the golf course? Is How much extra pressure are you feeling trying to earn back uh, the money that you know you need to pay? It was not, you know, as I said before, it was not like direct the pressure, you know. It was growing. The more I was getting older and then... You know, a girlfriend that's asking, you know, a bit, a guy which is more serious and more, you know, relaxing for her, plus the kids, you know, so it was like building up the, the pressure. Well, what changed? I mean, what changed in your golf game? And because things end up working out very well for you is why I have one why I feel very comfortable asking. <laughs> I, I'm very stubborn, man. Very stubborn. You know, I failed at the first time and I will succeed at the second time. There is no other option than that. No other option. So I was like, okay, I missed the first time. Okay, now I, ha- I need to pay back my debts, but I still want to perform. And, you know, I'm, I've been, bu- how do you say that in English? Bullied at school, you know, mm-hmm. because I was the golfer and it was not cool. Some guys were like really tough to me because I was the golfer. And I was like, that, that's going to be the perfect revenge. So I'm going to one day, and, and it happened, okay? I was like, one day I'm going to see them in Biarritz. I'm going to be in my Ferrari or in my Lamborghini, and I'm going to pass them when they're going to have a shit job because they gave me shit. And it happened, man. It it was one of the best moments of my life. Just to see the guys that's kicking your ass for nothing at school, and you pass them in your Ferrari, man. Oh, this is so good. So, yeah, I, I, I can get really stubborn and... I love revenge when it, when the unfair things happen to you. Huh. Well, what's golf viewed as like then? And you know, if you were bullied for being a golfer in school, is it viewed as kind of a elitist sport, or what is the uh, what's the viewpoint mostly in golf in France? It's at school what they're telling me, which is unreal now when you hear that. It's like, oh, you play golf, oh, you're gay, 
Mm. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. Oh, great education. You know. And, and then, not like proper, like, they were catching my legs and breaking my testicles against the tree, you know. Like, proper, proper troubles, you know. And, mm. yeah. And, and in France, the playing golf, you know, outside the stupid people that say it's for gay or for women or for old people. It's just that it comes from if you play golf, it's, it means that you're rich. And being rich in France, it's wrong. Hmm. Success is wrong in France. That's, I, I, I lived in uh, the Netherlands for a, a few years, and I you know, would tell people that I was a golfer. and I, it, would, it was a different reaction than what I would get in the States. You know, I don't know if it's a Western Europe thing, but it was kind of definitely even, even – which is kind of crazy because it is a rich man's sport in the U.S. even, but – it, it was definitely kind of like a oh so you're you're kind of like that you know is that would you say that 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 is a, a Western European thing is that fair yeah maybe maybe hmm. but is it true yeah there there is some very private club for very rich people okay but there is still you know you can still play golf for not so much in France you know I think it's worse in France really it, it's it's really bad to, to just to have money in France because you don't give everything back. The way you guys think in US is fantastic. Oh yeah, because oh. I think there's a there's you know a lot of people still have some issues with uh, the class system around around golf in the US. But what about US golf in particular uh, impresses you? Man, I, I've played only three PGA Championships, but every time the welcome, you know, and people joke with you, you know, it's it's not too posh. You know, the public is fun. Well, this year there was nobody. But the two other years, it was like really fun to play. I mean, the public gives you shit. You can give back. They respect you. It's it's like it's like a show. And in Europe, it's sometimes it's too you say conventional. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Too too rigid, too proper, yeah, and on. not as relaxed. I see yeah. what you're saying. Yeah. 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 That's what I love doing. I love coming back to the US. It's, fantastic well i, I want to get there's a, a story you wrote in the in the blog as well about you know a particular moment when things turned around and it was it came from you watching some golf on tv i'm wondering if you could uh, relay that story for us yeah I, I was playing really wrong at the time and that was 2013 i think you know just after the season and uh, i see um what's his name dave horsey he was leading the tournament and i say to my well she was my girlfriend at the time wife now i was like what? How? How is he leading? It's like I was beating this guy. I mean, he nothing, you know, impressive about him. And she was like, she looks at me, turned around in the sofa. She was like, "Hey, man, who's leading now? Who? Who's on the TV and who's on the sofa?" I was like, "Yeah, what do you mean? He, he's on TV. He just plays better golf than you." He's like, "Yeah, that's pretty simple, but very true." So yeah, that was kind of a you know one of the first push to. To be back, and I feel like this is the part of the movie where the montage kicks in, the the music starts, and the training starts. So, like, how did is that? Was that really the the moment you look back at and say something needed to change for you? And then I guess what did change? Yes, uh, what changed is uh, I remember calling back my brother, and I was like, "Man, I'm gonna go to tour school. I need your help because you know me." Then we went to tour school. We just made just made it to have a category on Challenge Tour. And after that, I was like, John, would you like to have a look at my swing? I was like, yeah, sure. And then we went to Paris National in the winter, which is not the easiest course ever. 
I, I remember he prepared like three huge baskets of balls, okay? And he told me one thing. And he was like, okay, let's start hitting shots. So it was like, keep your weight left and just feel like you're hitting from outside to inside. So, like, okay, let's try that. And then I started to hit really good shots. So, okay, let's go on the course. Maybe after 30 balls. And then I shot one under on the back nine at Paris National. And then, honestly, from there, I was like, okay, I can play golf. All right. And then he, he, we ended the day. He told me, you are allowed to take only three words from the lesson. And you keep that three words for 2014. And actually, it worked. What were the three words? It was something, yeah, left, fade, and aggressive or stuff like that. And then, yeah, made it through Challenge Tour. Well, I watched the, the video of, of you and Hayden Porteous hitting, uh, hitting some shots, uh, the European Tour video, and it was it, in that little short video, it, became, it was very evident that you were in love with hitting a fade. Was that always the case, and why is that the case? Because speaking selfishly, I want to learn how to hit a fade, because it seems like every golfer, I don't know what the actual phrase is, but there's some phrase along the lines of, like, every golfer gets good hitting a draw and gets great hitting a fade. But why is that? Well, honestly, my fade is a defense shot because, you know, my swing, you know, I, I guess you saw my swing and it looks good. It looks very good. It looks like almost elegant, you know. But if you look, you take any any coach that look at slow-mo down the line, they're going to say, oh, shit, it's not that good. I have so much hand action that if I don't play a fade, I can hit the ball anywhere. Because I'm really not a good draw player. I mean, you give me the driver and tell me hit the draw. Shit, I I'm in trouble, man. So, yeah, so that that's the biggest work I'm doing for the last two years now, right? Like, be able to, you know, to to have a much less hand action through through impact. But to hit a good fade, normally you just put the ball a bit left in the stance and hit it strong. That that's all I think about. <laughs> That's what it's funny because we always make fun of Dustin Johnson. He did this instructional video a long time ago, and he said, "You know, the key when you fade it is to make sure it fades." And it's, <laughs> that's what I'm trying. It seems like even in the video, you say something like, "I can tell you're having a hard time explaining it, but it's a feeling you have." And you, I think you even address that. You say like, "Yeah, it's good. it's not going to make sense when I say this, but here is how I hit the fade." And that's what I feel like when people describe hitting a fade. That's what I I get the sense that it's really hard for people to describe it. Actually, you know what? Just aim left and make sure your club face is right to where you swing and contrary for the draw. If you look at recently, I think Golf TV has put a video of uh, Jack Nicklaus explaining the draw. And he says, like, just put the <laughs> aim right and put the face left of your body and swing your body. I, got, I need to learn some of that. But uh, so, you know, it seems like you've put a lot of emphasis on sports psychology and psychology in, in general. And I want to know, when did that really enter the picture for you? And you've, you've mentioned that you were very mentally weak prior to that. I want to know what, what that means. And I was wondering if you could expand on that. Well, it, there's been a turn in my psychologist. Uh, I was playing Open de España. 2016 I think and I lost my dad in 2015 and my dad was Spanish so yeah you know you know where I'm coming eh? so I want I won that tournament absolutely so I'm leading after three rounds in Valderrama 
And from the moment I woke up on the Sunday to the moment you see that you're, you cannot win anymore. So that was somewhere like 14 or stuff. I was so weak, but so weak. And I was like, okay. So I finished the tournament and I called my best friend, which was my agent at the time. I was like, come on, man. Just please find me the best mental coach in France. And he's been good because he, he found her. So she's like a great psychologist and she has maybe all the best sportsmen in France. And so, yeah, I went to see her. And then from there, I well, there was a lot of work. Still a lot, a lot of work. But, yeah, I'm getting stronger and stronger. So, yeah, that's where I started my mental work. Well, what, when you say you're, you're weak, you're so weak, what is it? Is it just negative self-talk throughout a round or, you know, kind of take us to some of the things you've learned about. You probably didn't know it at the time what, what, you, uh, what was holding you back, but I'm, I'm sure you have better perspective on it now you've gone through some training. Yeah, but it, it's not, it, it's, you know, sometimes it feels like you, you, you are too inside your brain. And, uh, you know, from, when I'm telling you like weak, it's like I was almost, you know, very little shaky, but deep inside my bones, you know, like all the body was like a little leaf in the trees, you know, with a little, a very light wind, you know, like just moving a bit. And from there, you're like, okay, you're going to be fine. You play well. You're going to be fine. You play well. Blah, 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 blah. You know, you're like very positive th- thoughts that you tell yourself. Blah, blah, blah. But deep inside you, you know, you're not strong because you feel your body. So, you know, all these positive talks were just making it worse, actually, because if you say to yourself, like, man, you are in a very bad place now, okay? You, you, you're going to struggle, like, a lot on the golf course today. Then there's no surprise. You know, there's no lie. Then you're going to be able to find the, the solutions, you know? Because I was speaking to me the wrong way. I was just lying to me. So let's be honest. Like, okay, it's going to be really hard. You're going to struggle. You're going to hit bad shots or just... You know, you're going to be able to fix that. That's interesting because I think a lot of people think, you know, sports psychology and psychology and golf is just mostly positive reinforcement and telling yourself you are capable of something. But you're saying the opposite of you need to be aware when it really isn't there because then you're more mentally prepared to be able to handle it. I do believe that uh, psychology and mental work, you know, is two very big different things. Like psychology, when you build a house, the mental preparation is the house, but the psychology is what you build the house on. So if you just put a house on grass and it rains, the house is going to move, you know, and it's going to get fragile. So you need a really strong base to be able after to speak positively to yourself. So what have you improved on then, I guess, you know, so much in that? You sound way more confident in, in all of that and your understanding has improved. How does that directly relate to golf? What are things you tell yourself or what are, uh, what are specific improvements you've made? Actually, it's about, you know, anxiety, anxiety in life, you know. The anxiety in life that I have has been down, you know. Like I, I managed to, with the work, with my psychological work, I managed to, to take my anxiety level really lower than what it was. So then I have more room for the golf stress to kick in, you know, and I can handle that. It's like, imagine a glass of, of water. Imagine anxiety is the water, and then you, you fill the glass up. There's no more room to add, you know, to add anything on it, or the glass is going to 
everything is going to go over it and it's not going to look good. So if you put the water really low, you will have anxiety, no problem. But if it's like really low, you can still pour more things on it and the glass is going to still look good. So this is mostly how I have been working for the last four years. Yeah, and you wrote something that I was pretty profound, I thought. You said, for everybody, as soon as we do something that we like for a job and you win some cash, in the mind of everybody and even yourself, you are not allowed to be sad. You have to be happy. I hate to say it, but life's more vicious than that. Is that kind of along the same lines of what you're, what you're talking about there? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that to, to, you need to understand when you're a professional golf player or, or football player or a successful person, you need to understand that you're lucky in life, okay? So you started lucky because if you look at the planet, to be born in France is, the, you know, almost a lottery ticket. You're a lucky man here, okay? If you understand that, that's great. But after life is hard to everybody. Of course, I'm going to have less hard things than if I was living in Lebanon or Iraq. But, you know, your brain cannot handle everything. And... When people are bad to you or if you lose someone, if you struggle with, uh, I don't know, just struggle with your faith. It goes into your mind and your mind needs to be clean to perform. So if you respect people and understand that you're lucky at the first time, then you're still allowed to be sad. Yeah, no, that that makes. I just had never really thought of it that way until I until I read uh, how you phrase it that way. But um, I can't believe we're this far into it. We haven't even talked about Harding Park. I think that uh, yeah, what was what was that like being in contention there? Did that feel different than anything you'd experienced? And I guess you know you're uh, kind of being in in contention in a major right there with with no fans. I'm sure that was kind of a an odd feeling as well. Well, I have to admit that uh, no fans helped me. You know, in terms of pressure. Because, uh, you know, it, it might be really hard, you know, to restart after four months without any tournament. And, you know, all, with a full gallery, it might be a bit harder. But, yeah, it was really cool to be in contention. I mean, I've played really good golf the first two days. And after I got, yeah, I got a bit tired physically and mentally. And then here you go. <laughs> Major course. Do not allow that. Yeah. It's ironic, maybe a little bit. I guess I'm wondering if you can compare and contrast this to Bethpage, right? Because you had a great weekend at Bethpage and ended up with a great finish, whereas you didn't have a great week at Harding Park. And people probably remember your performance more at Harding Park than Bethpage. But I wondered if you could com- compare and contrast the two years, kind of going in opposite directions. But it's so much easier to, to play from the, you know, to come from behind. So much easier than... I was like, oh, shit. I finished my first round, and I had my psychologist, and she was like, how are you? I was like, shit, it's going to be long now. It's going to be three days that's going to feel like two weeks. It's going to be a long moment, because then everybody's kicking in your phone. Everybody's like, ah, come on, go take that one. I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. So, okay, so I got Brooks, Justin Rose, everybody behind me, and I still have three, three days to play. Okay, so how am I going to do that? So, you know, it was too long for me for the moment, but it's good experience. Now I know that I need to maybe start major championships without giving 100% on the first round, you know? Just go play your golf and don't play it like if it was a Sunday. Yeah, that's what, you know, as fans watching on TV, every you, you can't tell what's going through someone's head. Like, you, almost no professional golfers really wear their emotions on their sleeve 
to the point where you know it looks very all very routine so i'm always refreshed when i hear someone say like you know as soon as you play a great first round in a major that you you look at the calendar and say this is gonna that we have a long ways to go and this is gonna feel pretty stressful going forward yeah yeah honestly i don't know how tiger did all of it without dying at 31 (laughs) years old with gray hair and stuff you know like i don't know i don't know it takes too much energy is tournament golf that stressful majors yeah 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 what's so different about majors well of course the field you know that the guys are you know we are great players but there is like big guns eh? that can come from anywhere like tj brooks justin thomas all these guys can come from nowhere and win and uh and the course the course doesn't allow you if you hit the driver in the rough you need luck to have a shot for the green or huge arms like Brooks. well the european tour has undergone a lot of changes in recent years tried a lot of different formats i'm wondering kind of what you think on, on the direction and uh and future of the european tour and if you've uh, if, if you enjoyed some of the some of the quirks and fun things they've done the last few years and i've played the golf sixes it was so cool honestly yeah. i was playing with roman vatel for france and the only unlucky thing is that there was no like big stars because you put a team with John Ram and Sergio, that would be awesome. Bring a lot of crowd, playing with music, but only once once a year is great. After I like normal tournaments. So one thing I, I read about as well that you were working particularly hard on your driving. I'm I'm curious as to what what maybe was your weakness there. What were things you're working on? I can't imagine it's something that easily translates uh, to things that listeners could improve on. But I, everyone could use some driving tips. I would have to say. So when you go to say you get in the lab and you really go work on your driving, what does that look like and what are you trying to improve? Well, it looks like I'm trying to uh, erase my early extension from the you know from the hips. So try to really keep my angles really well because when I have my hips that's coming under, you know, under me, that's where I have a lot of hand action. And with the speed that we hit now, it's almost luck to arrive square into the ball. So that's why I've been fading it a lot because I can, you know, relate on the shape. But if there is a wind left to right and I need to draw it in, I'm in trouble. So, yeah, so I'm really trying to keep my, my angles really well. And uh, I'm, I'm actually trying as well to keep a much lower shaft through impact, you know, because with the speed that we're putting in, the club wants to go really totally out of the line, you know, in front of you. And you cannot keep the square club anymore. So if you keep a low shaft, that's where the club is going to come back really much more square. So that could be interesting for people. So just do your normal swing, but just keep the shaft low through impact when you say shaft low do you just do you mostly mean your hands are lower like the angle between the shaft and the ground is lower yes yeah so okay there is normally there is an angle between your forearms and your shaft in the posture okay Mm -hmm. and then with the speed that you give that angle is going to almost disappear through impact so if you can keep that and that angle shaft and four and forearms from the posture to impact, normally you should improve your driving. And I believe that helps promote a fade as well then, right? That helps promote fairways. Fairways. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care which which way, which, just fairway. A <laughs> couple more things here and we'll let you get out of here. But uh, you dropped a wonderful F-bomb live on the air when you were with Sky. Did you realize that at all <laughs> when you did that? 
I, I didn't expect that one. Okay, I'm going to be very clear with you. I do not understand what's going on with TV and social media, with how people speak, okay? I prefer to hear my daughter say fuck, okay, than have fun of a gay over a racial person, you know? I think that everything is really getting too serious there, okay? You can say bad words. There's nothing wrong about that, no? It's, I mean, I'm French, so maybe that's why. But I see people get, taking the piece for, for just a bad word, like if it's the end of the world. I've seen on Twitter, but people getting crazy about it. Still, maybe these guys are going to be bad to another person the same day. Just, you know, relax, guys, okay? I hate all this. I almost tweeted one thing two or three days ago. It's good that you speak about that. I just cannot stand anymore what's going on with the image of sportsmen. I can, it's just, there is no more character. Lewis Hamilton is the best Formula One player. It's awesome, okay? It's fantastic. He's, he's such a great athlete, okay? No problem. But if you look at his Instagram, okay, and you look at it, Man, you're going to feel like you're a terrible person. The image of the guy is so perfect, okay, that it can give you, you know, bad thoughts about yourself. Just be normal, guys. That's why I love guys like Ballesteros, Ballesteros, Maradona, all these guys. I mean, there's nobody like this anymore. That's very true. I think the you know the bigger, the more famous you get, the more success as an athlete or anyone that you have, you're just expected to fall in line inside this perfect little box in this image that you know you know the agents are going to form you into, and you know TV is going to want to try to form you into that. Yeah, TV and TV and sponsors and want the absolute perfect things because maybe of insurance or whatever, and that's I just I just do not look sports anymore. I, I just don't. Highly corporatized, that's for sure. So it's, it's always nice to hear some refreshing perspective uh, from someone like yourself. But I'm curious, are you a, are you a Game of Thrones fan at all? Uh, I was, yeah, until season eight. Did anybody, uh, does anybody ever tell you with your kind of the long hair, longer yeah. hair you've had going that you look like Braun? <laughs> Braun. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I'm so happy because he's one of my favorite characters so i was so happy to see that <laughs> somebody somebody did that on twitter during the pga and i was working hard to try to figure out a brawn joke that would go in there but i couldn't really make it work but uh that that, that was definitely definitely uh one of the things uh the lasting images i have from the pga all right mike we're gonna let you go man we have to do this again sometime this was fantastic sure, insight man. really appreciate your time and perspective and uh hope we uh, hope we cross paths sooner rather than later sure thank you very much man Take care. You bet. Cheers. Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yes! Yeah. Johnny, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most! Expect anything.